It had to happen. Science has now evolved from science to science fiction. What is science fiction? Well, it's sort of science, but not really. We're told that even though we know masks don't work, science fiction says it does. Just ask the politicians. We know that lockdowns don't work, but science fiction says it does. Just ask the politicians. Science says natural immunity is best, but science fiction says it isn't. Just ask the politicians. Dr. Elizabeth Lee Velit is President and Chief Executive Officer of the Truth for Health Foundation and is a co-author and editor of the Guide to COVID Early Treatment, Options to Stay Out of Hospital and Save Your Life. Dr. Velit, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's a real pleasure. You're in one of my favorite parts of the world. But in prison, we uh, this whole country is uh, just about locked down right now, and uh, we, we you know we can't even travel interstate. We have to have passports to uh, go from one state to another state. So, what it used to be and what it is now, it's uh, this is the new COVID normal, which is scary. It is very scary. The, the last time I was in your beautiful country, it was just so incredible and. The freedom that you had was was just staggering to see what's happened to that. I I really am very disturbed about what's happening to Australia and so many countries. But Australia has been more locked down than many. The um, the the premier has one premier says that um, he wants to hit zero COVID and uh, first of all the hysteria on the Delta variant is purely that hysteria, and um, they scared the pejeebas out of everybody. And then they say, well, this thing is so so dangerous, it's transmissible, not telling you the true story. And uh, we have, truly, we have um, a number of states who are treating themselves as countries, but still wanting a handout from the federal government. Well, and the tragedy is that the Delta variant is one of the mildest forms. It's much milder than the original COVID that hit us last year, and the the all of the emphasis on the experimental COVID shots are not effective against the Delta variant. So it it is a calculated fear mongering about Delta being used to control people when that's really not accurate in terms of either its seriousness or the vaccine effectiveness. You've treated many COVID patients over the course of this you know, inverted commas pandemic. What are the most important things everyone should know about the COVID-19 disease? Well, I think the most critical point is that COVID-19 is a viral illness that is potentially no worse than the seasonal flu if you treat it early and if you are not a high-risk elderly patient with multiple medical conditions like heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and lung disease. All of the patients that I treated for the last 18 months, I treated within the first three days of symptoms. No one went to the hospital. No one died, even though I had patients of all ages and people with many other medical conditions. It's like anything in medicine, Mike. 
And your your listeners have common sense. I hope they still have common sense. Okay, audience, put on your common sense hat. You treat illness early. We don't wait until someone has stage four breast cancer to start treatment. We do a screening mammogram. We identify a lump. We do a biopsy. We get the pathology and we treat it early. The same is true with everything in medicine, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, lung disease. All of the things that we do in medicine, including viral diseases, have always been focused on early treatment. And the agenda was so clearly defined from the get-go, suppress early treatment, scare everyone that this is such a deadly disease, tell them to go home and get sick until they can't breathe, and then come into the hospital, and we'll put you on a ventilator, and 30% of people die. Never in medicine, ever, have we taken the approach of telling people to go home, get sicker, before we allow you to get treatment. It's unheard of. It's unconscionable. It doesn't make common sense. It's morally and ethically and legally wrong. What are the greatest untruths being promoted about the disease by governments and the media? And I, I think the... Uh, I'm not, I was, last night, over a glass of uh, New Zealand wine, I was uh, thinking about which is worse, government or media? And, you know, the jury's out. I mean, they're both evil and they're both doing it for other nefarious reasons. But um, what's the, these untruths? You know, tell us the, the, or the myths being promoted. I mean, for example, before, I, before you get into that, in, in Australia, a parliamentarian, George Christensen, um, got up in Parliament and said that uh, the masks basically don't work and basically what you're saying, that um, lockdowns don't work. And the, uh, he was censored the next day in our parliament from both sides, saying he was a very evil person and should shut up. Our media got into him here and yada, 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 yada. Yet in your part of the woods, he was on uh, Laura Ingram's show on Fox uh, and um, entirely, entirely different. So uh, are your, so, okay, so are your untruths or your myths there be you know, spread by the media how do they compare to our myths? I mean, we're telling everybody that the Delta variant or scariant is the worst ever and we have to stay locked down until we get our vaccine. I think you are seeing orchestrated talking points with the global predators, the global media and government agencies they are all using exactly the same top eight myths and lies about COVID. Number one was that asymptomatic spread. That was disproven unequivocally and ironically, it was disproven by the Chinese in a study of 10 million people, the very people that suppressed the information about COVID from the beginning were the ones who disproved the idea that it could be spread by people who had no symptoms. And again, your listeners need to put their common sense hat on. When have you ever walked down the street 
wondering whether a healthy-looking person coming towards you had some strange disease that they were going to give you by simply walking past you. We never thought that way before because asymptomatic people don't spread disease. And so that was lie number one, and that was one of the things used to lock everything down. Lie number two is that you could stop a nanoparticle virus with a mask that had holes as big as a chain link fence compared to a mosquito. So wearing a mask was like, again, in my backyard trying to stop mosquitoes with a chain link fence. Of course it doesn't work. We've known that for a long time as well. And what the actual science shows clearly is that masks don't protect against the nanoparticle viruses. The holes in the mask are too big. And then the idea that lockdowns could be used to stop the spread. Well, that's nonsensical as well. Look at Sweden. They did not do the lockdowns. They didn't have any worse outcomes than any country that did the lockdowns. And what we know is that by isolating people you and having them stay at home in a closed environment where they're recirculating whatever is in their respiratory system and not getting fresh air, they're getting sicker and people that are people are not developing herd immunity, which would then help the virus to burn itself out because it doesn't have anybody to spread to. So the more that people are mingling and the more that people are going about their ordinary businesses without masks, the more that our natural immune system that begins in the nose and mouth in terms of where our immune system begins working with the secretory IgA, we're blocking all of that. We're blocking people from getting outside in the fresh air. We knew in the 1918 flu pandemic, in Arizona, they were moving hospital patients outdoors into the fresh air and sunshine. We've done that for decades. Mm. We've known that ancient Greece. And then when you keep people inside, they're getting more deficient in vitamin D, which then means you're more susceptible to becoming ill. They, they did all the wrong things. Mm. And they totally shut down the fundamental principle of medicine, which is early treatment. As soon as you have symptoms, start treatment. And the, our own FDA that put the labeling on Tamiflu that it should be given within 48 hours of flu symptoms is shutting down hydroxychloroquine early for a viral illness that the studies were shown in our own NIH under Anthony Fauci's direction 20 years ago mm. that hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine had potent antiviral effects against SARS-CoV-1 virus, which shares 80% of the viral genome of SARS-CoV-2 that we faced in 2020. They knew it 20 years ago. They lied. Andrew Bolt, who's a um, uh, on the... Um is, is uh, supposedly a libertarian, but find that even the uh, the uh, like the cable networks and stuff here, they're still pushing the same narrative from the government. Andrew Bolt, um, uh, after George Christensen said masks don't work, 
he had a, a guest on, and I recall him saying, I personally have read 47 re- reports that masks do work. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, he, so he sat down, according to Andrew Bolt, sat down would have been for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours, reading these 47 reports. And what I'm thinking, and maybe you could help me here, Doctor, is that maybe he read the same report 47 <laughs> times. I, I think you're right, because there actually are more than that in the number of studies that have shown masks don't work. Hmm. I mean, we even had a Marine study where they had Marines in boot camp who are some of the most controlled people on the planet in terms of having to re- meet rigid rules. And they found that the mask didn't work. The Danish study found that the mask don't work. You talk to industrial hygiene people and industrial engineers, they know the masks don't work. And look, when Ebola broke out, were people wearing cloth surgical masks and cotton bandanas? No, they were wearing practically a spacesuit of isolation gear. And that's what you what you really need if you're going to stop totally stop the spread. We had a, a doctor here who describes the uh, the cloth masks as being something like a like repurposed underwear, um, <laughs> which is probably true. Hopefully they're washed. Why have so many medical professionals then remained silent for so long in the face of so many untruths? Well, certainly in our country, Mike, it has to do a lot with probably 85 to 90 percent of physicians in the U.S. are employed by large health systems, by large group medical practices that are run by administrators. And many of them have been threatened with losing their job if they deviate from what the non-medical administrators have decided is the policy. And that may have some similar bearing in Australia and Canada where doctors work for basically for the government in a government-run health system. But also what many Americans don't realize is that the hospitals, these large health systems where the hospital owns an outpatient practice of a um, multi-disciplinary group of doctors, the hospitals make more money on inpatient care And during COVID, they were getting additional stipends for COVID diagnoses for patients who were put on ventilators. And so consequently, the hospitals were incentivized to push people into the hospital, not treat them in the outpatient setting. And patients are not told that. And then there was the concurrent agenda to push people away from early treatment. Because if the public around the world had truly understood, as many third world countries learned quickly, that COVID was not a very serious illness if you treated it early and with readily available medicines, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, corticosteroids, blood thinners, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, all of these things, If you treat it within the first five days, 
with all of that combination before it becomes the serious blood clotting and inflammation damage to the lungs and the heart and the brain, people don't get, they don't have the risk of getting so sick that they're at risk of dying. The whole push to prevent early treatment was designed to push people into the box canyon of seeing an experimental vaccine as the only solution. They totally ignored early treatment and, in fact, interfered with doctors trying to do early treatment in the outpatient setting. So I think a combination of doctors working for large employers that tell them what they can do and say and not speaking up. I mean, I'm personally um, quite disgusted with my medical profession colleagues who would not speak out. I think it's unconscionable. I didn't want patients on my watch to die if I could help them. So I don't really care whether someone likes it or not. I'm going to do the best for my patients and make a medical judgment to help that person if it's within my power to do so. We have in Australia a really bad situation, though, because the government uh, threatens uh, uh, losing of the license to practice medicine. They um, threaten jailing, uh, huge fines. Uh, a little bit different than what you're saying for the U.S. Yes, and and I would think that for the public, again, if you put your common sense hat on, why is the government seeing it necessary to threaten doctors who are simply trying to help patients and save lives? That should tell you all you need to know mm. about what the real problem is here. It's not covid it's the virus of control of the population. It's totalitarianism. That's the illness that we're up against. Mm. But again, then the mainstream media does its very best to uh, distort the facts. And, you know, the, the scaring bit comes into it or the terrifying bit. In fact, in England, the um, um, uh, when they uh, kicked off their scare campaign with COVID, um, uh, a bunch of psychologists who were advising the government said, if you don't scare them at the start, uh, terrify them next to make them comply. So they're, they're rolling out the terror part and the punishment, punishment bit too, aren't they? Absolutely. Propagandists have known that for probably since humans evolved mm. and walked the face of the earth. The way you control people is through fear. And if we look at every totalitarian system in the modern era, from the Soviet Revolution in 1917, the Soviet Union totalitarianism, communist China, communist Cuba, North Korea, Venezuela, any totalitarian system, the aspects of control of the population are fear, intimidation, and they control you through access to health care, and access to food, and access to the ability to earn a living. Mm. All of those things are being used now. It's a repeat of what we've seen since the 1900s. When do you think early treatment will become accepted as one of the means of treating COVID-19, or is it going to go along the way? I mean, I've, I've read a few uh, little stories about Pfizer and the others creating their own early treatment programs. <laughs> well... Many of the early treatment programs that 
they are talking about doing are some of the expensive, very lucrative uh, antiviral medicines like remdesivir along that line that have not proven very successful. Remdesivir failed against Ebola. It's not very effective against COVID, and yet it's brought in billions of dollars. So all of the inexpensive antivirals that are genetic, sorry, generic and off-patent, very cheap to manufacture, a few cents to manufacture hydroxychloroquine, of course they are all working to suppress those inexpensive options. In some respects, third world countries that can't afford the expensive new patented medicines the drug companies are working on are actually much better off because they're using the older generic medicines that are cheap and effective. Australia is showing the world on how to obliterate democracy and our freedoms. In Queensland, uh, they require anyone travelling from the neighbouring state of New South Wales, you have to provide evidence of at least one dose of the vaccine. Associate Professor Paul Griffin from the University of Queensland said it could be the first step towards Queenslanders needing vaccination proof for everyday living. We're starting to recognise the genuine protection provided by the vaccine, Professor Griffin said. This is not about punishing people that aren't vaccinated. It's about recognising the reduced risk of people who are and rewarding them by returning some of the freedoms they've lost. There's no perfect solution or silver bullet, but we do need to reduce the risk of more widespread transmission. And we know there's less risk in people that are fully vaccinated. Thoughts on that and your thoughts on vaccine passports? He contradicts the data. Mm. Vaccine, the breakout of COVID illness in vaccinated people is skyrocketing in multiple countries around the world. We have healthcare workers in the United States that clearly are seeing this in their hospitals. The majority of, that's not what you're hearing in the media, but that's what people are sending letters to many of our legislators indicating what the healthcare workers are actually seeing. And I think the data is clear from the UK, from Israel, many parts of the US, and I can't speak to Australia because, again, a lot of the data that's being reported is cooking the books, so to speak, because it's not, it's not been reported accurately. I'll give you one example. The New England Journal published a paper recently about the risk of the experimental COVID shots in pregnancy and what was the effect on potential miscarriage. The verbal description in the abstract and the summary totally contradicted the data in the charts in the article. But someone has to have the sophistication to read the data charts and interpret them. The authors claimed 12% reduction, uh, sorry, 12% miscarriage rate in first trimester. However, when an independent researcher 
looked at the data in the article and did an independent analysis in the first trimester, correctly interpreted the very data that they just commented on, showed an 82% first trimester miscarriage rate. So the authors and the journal editors are guilty of distorting the data in the way they report it. And then when anyone criticizes it, the messenger, they want to shoot the messenger instead of looking at the fact that they made an intentional or a stupid error. Mm. And I would say that most of them are sophisticated enough that I doubt it's stupidity. Mm. We were talking off camera before just about the effects that are now starting to come to light with uh, vaccines, um, which won't get any uh, mainstream media acknowledgement at this stage. But um, what's what's the emerging evidence on uh, our reproductive organs uh, from the vaccine? There is unequivocal published peer-reviewed research going back at least nine years to 2012 showing that the lipid nanoparticles damage the ovary and testes. I was just reading a 2018 paper. The title is Potential Adverse Effects of Nanoparticles on the Reproductive System. And this paper was published by a group of Chinese researchers in 2018, which means the work was in progress for years before that. And in their paper, the graphic that they included to summarize all of the damage that they found of reproductive toxicity, they found multiple pathways of damage to the male testicle, multiple pathways of damage on the female ovary, including not only sperm for men and follicles for women, but also on hormone production, which means that then you don't have the reproductive hormones helping to regulate the function of all the other organs in the body, such as the brain and bone and muscles and cardiac function, for example. I mean, I've spent 35 years in in climacteric medicine, looking at the ways that our reproductive hormones in men and women affect every organ system in the body from puberty until we die. So to look at the enormity of what was in the 2012 study and the 2018 study, and to know that they went ahead with these experimental lipid nanoparticle coating on these genetic experimental gene therapy agents. When they went ahead it knowing this damage, I think, again, is evidence of intent to do harm. And we are looking at the potential for not only damage to the ovaries and in women and the testes in men, but also the triggering the antibody response to the spike protein, which all of the experimental COVID shots are designed to do, triggers an antibody reaction to a critical placental protein in women, 
that is needed in order to make a placenta to carry a pregnancy. So it's a three-pronged attack, Mm. human reproduction, that the public knows nothing about because it's been kept suppressed. They do know now evil people um, must do this more often too. And uh, thanks for joining us from Arizona. You're so welcome, Mike. It's such a pleasure to be here and keep up your good work. The public desperately needs to hear the truth. And our Truth for Health Foundation is dedicated to that. We are a people's charity, Mm. a people's foundation. And we are the voice of the voiceless leading the crusade to bring truth so that people can make informed decisions out of knowledge, not fear. And what's the uh, web address, quickly? It's www.truthforhealth.org. Fantastic. Great chatting. Uh, Talk to you again soon. Doctor, thank you very much. Thank you. We know that government plays tricks with the truth. It's all wrapped up in the propaganda package that's delivered to its citizens on a daily basis. For example, what are the real COVID vaccine adverse event figures? The government tells us the vaccines are really, really safe. Jason Olborn runs World Series News Underground TV, a very cool TV channel, on social media and is the founder of A Million Mums for Informed Consent. Albert Benavides is a respected VAERS data analyst who's exposed critical COVID-19 vaccine safety issues from the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is managed by the CDC and the FDA. Jason and Albert, thanks so much for joining us. Jason, what are the key statistics that help us understand the risk COVID-19 presents to Australians? I think the mantra, lies, damn lies, and statistics accurately describes the interpretation of data for the purposes of planning, executing, and explaining public policy. The stats are easy to find on official government websites, but they're not explained apart from the obvious. They're rarely collated in any meaningful way, and they look more like an attempt to sell the government narrative rather than to explain it. So for someone who had to teach himself how to read the numbers, I'd like to start with the obvious What are my chances or what are the chances of catching COVID from someone who has it? If you catch it, what are the chances of survival? And if you're going to die from it, what are your risks regardless uh, or regarding your age? So today, 99.96% of the Australian population does not have COVID. Of those tested yesterday, approximately 200,000 people, 99.7% of those people tested negative. There are around 200,000 tests a day netting just 500 cases using a dubious PCR test set at a very high cycle rate, which Anthony Fauci himself, the Bernie Madoff of medicine, says is meaningless. If you get COVID today, regardless of age, health status, or whether you are rich or poor, skinny or fat, regardless of your race, 97.5% of people will survive on their own. So what we're dealing with is just 2.5% of those who actually get infected who are the ones that are truly in danger. So when you drill down further on the stats, Mike, you start to see very clearly that we what we have is a case of a tale of two COVIDs. Off the bat, in, the, in this uh, scenario, it is the under-70s and the over-70s. If you're under 70 in Australia and you get COVID, 99.8% of people will survive. 
But in the over 70s, according to the stats on health.gov.au, it's an 80% overall survival rate. Now, that is without the use of early treatments, which are known and available, but delicately deflected in the mainstream media circles. And what I can't work out is, is how is that nobody after 18 months and New South Wales now and it's going to its third month of lockdowns, still no one in the media decides to say, isn't there another way that we can do this? How many more suicides do we need to see? How many more businesses need to close? How many more divorces need to happen? How many more domestic violence scenarios occur before we go, you know what, maybe there's got to be another way to go into a further two months of lockdowns. Albert, what do the latest official stats tell us about the adverse events for COVID vaccines in the States? Uh, so the VARS, the VARS system here uh, currently is reporting 12,791 deaths. Um, what's peculiar is that uh, this whole time, except for the last two weeks, um, deaths have always been more than permanent disabilities. But for the last two weeks, now permanent disabilities has uh, superseded the deaths. Now we're up. Now uh, there's more permanent disabilities than deaths. There's uh, 13,139 permanent disabilities. Uh, some people may say, well, gee, that's, you know, that, that, that uh, bucket is climbing pretty fast. But in my, in my studies of, of the, you know, of the, of the data, no, the, the deaths are slowing down, are either being throttled or they're behind or something. They're slowing down so much so that now permanent disabilities has overtaken deaths. So there's more permanent disabilities than deaths. We are 246 days into this depopulation program here. And now we have more foreign deaths in our, in our bare system from the from the UK uh, yellow card system and the UDRA vigilance uh, European Union system, we have more deaths from their systems in our systems than we do our own domestic deaths. Um, and, and that's okay. I mean, in the little bylaws and the little disclaimer, it, it gives an explanation of, of how, why we should have foreign deaths in our uh, American system because American manufacturers and all of that stuff. But uh, the point being is that is that for some reason in this these last six weeks, they've inundated the very system with with foreign statistics and 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 a majority of that is foreign deaths. I mean, the percentage of deaths to the total reports, it's amazing, Uh, you know, but anyways, more, more deaths than, uh, than the domestic deaths. And when I measure out just our domestic deaths, now this is, this is bombshell news here, is that, is that 50% of our domestic deaths have a jab date of less of, of, uh, less than a quarter of the doses that are rolled out. I don't know if I, if I said that correctly, but, uh, February 26th, everybody who's been jabbed up to February 26th, half of our domestic deaths are coming from those jabs February 26th or older. So uh, that's really a curiosity. That just, you have to say, you know, the CDC or Fauci or Bears, 
they have to say either either we're behind or we are uh, by intelligent design throttling the data. One of the two. It, uh, that that that's scary. Look, just for those that are wondering. Um how effective and, and what is throttling the data, Albert? What actually is throttling the data? Throttling the data is like um, I I kind of make the analogy of like when on your cell phone when you have a when you have a data and you either get unlimited data or after a while like if you suck up too much of your cell phone data watching videos. They start to slow the, slow the speed down and say, Oh, you can't watch this full HD TV uh, video anymore. We're going to slow the, uh, put the brakes on the data come, coming out. And, uh, that's what I think that, uh, the throttling is. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're, it's not that they're, not reporting, although I think that eventually, I, I don't, I don't know if they ever will give us the full picture. But in the meantime, when they do give us the uh, the new deaths, you know, and, and the new statistics for this week, when you analyze what's new, you realize, wait a minute, these these people were jabbed in in February and in March. I mean, why aren't you giving us new new data? <laughs> Like they, these people were jabbed, you know, a couple of weeks ago. No, these, these people, they give us new data this week, but but their but their actual vaccination date is a few months ago. Jason, what important facts or statistics are not well publicized, such as um, recovery rates, PCR flaws, deaths, uh, and so on? Yeah, good question, Mike. The PCR test was a test used originally to check on. HIV viral load in infected patients, mm. but not to diagnose it strangely. The Western blot was the most popular HIV test used. The PCR test on its own is not fit for purpose. It was not designed to detect the difference between a live and a dead virus and cannot distinguish accurately once cycled too high, whether you see COVID, cold or flu. So it's catching everything and nothing at the same time. It may be a tactic of being overcautious, but it's obvious that it needs to be explained to the people that this is the uh, the action that the government is following. But that would mean it would also lower the hysteria. And you'll notice it's the so-called conspiracy theorists who are calm and the government who are yelling. So when we scrutinise the stats further, and I refer specifically to the greatest tragedy of all this, um, Mike, is uh, what happened in Victoria under what we call Quarantine Gate, where Daniel Andrews... Um, uh, was responsible for uh, the security guards into uh, hotel quarantine that were hired using a WhatsApp on your phone where none of these um, security guards were trained and rocked up for work and didn't know what they were doing. Of course, that's how COVID escaped in Victoria last year. It got into the nursing homes and 655 um, elderly people in aged care died. Now, mm. overall in Australia, we've only had 950 give or take deaths. So that that represents two-thirds of all deaths. So earlier I mentioned the tale of two COVIDs. When you remove the statistics of those deaths and the Newmarch nursing home in Penrith out in Sydney, 
what you find is the survival rate in over 70s doesn't go up to 99.8%, um, unfortunately, but it's, it moves a long way off 80% and moves up to 95%, which means that in the elderly, outside of those uh, anomalies, instead of one in five being at risk of death whilst catching COVID, the number changes drastically to one in 20. Now, that ought to give a lot of people confidence. Now, the thing is, when you know those numbers that the statistics reveal, you wonder why aren't the doctors studying this data to look for better ways to identify those at highest risk and therefore prepare those people accordingly. But we don't hear anything from medicine, and this is fundamental basic stuff. Where are the chief health officers, Sutton, Chant and Young? They are the East Coast coalition of unelected medical tyrants. Now, there were eight teenage girls reported in The Australian who died from suicide in Australia in the first seven months of the year. Where are those statistics? Where are the reports? Now, if you even go into the Black Dog Institute or Lifeline or any of those places, the best statistics I can get on suicide are from 2019. And that, to me, tells me that something stinks. Albert, what about the uh, adverse events um, say from uh, what we have at the moment to uh, other vaccines. What is there? Is there a difference? Uh, yeah. Well, let me just state that um, the total amount of deaths currently for the bear system, uh, all the way back thirty years, is uh, the total deaths is twenty one thousand six hundred and fifty six deaths total, and twelve thousand seven hundred and ninety one way, you know, uh, way more than half are from COVID in the last, uh, what did I say, 246 days. It's like eight months. Mm -hmm. So in the last eight months, we've we've more than eclipsed uh, 30 years worth of adverse events for, you know, here in the States. And that's that's uh, as children and adult vaxes altogether cumulatively. So um, that. You know that that just tells that just tells me personally as a analytics guy that these these um these vaccines they're they're risky you know uh, and that's putting it politely but they're uh, they're, they're lethal they're lethal and people um I wish that the word would get out and they would have full informed consent that that they're they're very very risky. And, and uh, I'm not sure if if the solution is is worth the uh, is worth more than the, the, the problem. It's really interesting how the uh, governments, whether it's New Zealand, which is a disgrace, uh, Australia, which is a disgrace. Actually, they're all disgraceful, and um, various various elements of the truth may be there, but it's certainly covered up by all sorts of BS. Uh, it doesn't pass the pub test at all, does it, Jason? Not, not at all. And this is the point when you start to drill down on some of these numbers and just look at what you're mm. not being told, the answers reveal themselves in plain sight. Mm. How, how does the Australian government monitor the safety of vaccines? And I'm, you know, I'm trying to ask you this question without rolling around on the floor laughing because that would seem to be a gross exaggeration of uh, the, TGA, the uh, TGA's capabilities. Well, exactly right, Mike. Look, the second part of the report that I prepare each week for my channel on uh, World Series News Underground TV is the uh, to examine the weekly injury uh, reporting from the TGA. 
And that's where they provide basic numbers uh, in a table to show the number of reports each week of vaccine injury. But strangely, not the numbers of deaths in those who recently had the vaccine. Plus, there are enormous lags in the data being reported to doctors and actually sent on to the TGA. Then there is the lack of the reporting, the denying, the sudden change of minds in treating doctors and the evidence against the vaccine dismissed out of hand. So the numbers are truly low, but they still reveal some very interesting stats and truths. See, under 70s are less likely to die from COVID than to officially report an injury, which may include death. Um, there are 440 people officially reported to have died recently post-vaccine, but not because of the vaccine, officially. How many more are unofficial? Because we don't know this, the statistics serve a narrative, but not a purpose. It's used to justify the reasoning the government use, but the scrutiny reveals new truths. So for me, informed consent is where I landed on all of this. And um, I head up a movement called A Million Mums for Informed Consent. And this has been an incredibly compelling argument for those to consider if the vaccine is right for them, mm. especially if you are under 20 and have no risk of dying from the virus. Why would you risk dying from the vaccine? Why do not even we consider that long term effects have not even been studied and the indicators are not exactly telling us that thalidomide was an exception? Uh, but, you know, part of it, I would think, actually, not, not I would think, part of it is the, uh, the propaganda exercise, which we touched on with uh, Dr. Piers Robinson. Um, people actually believe, you know, they, they, they believe all the BS, and it's been going on now for 18 months. So they actually believe that the vaccine is going to make you fabulous. In fact, I, one of my uh, gym instructors well, I should ask for my money back because I can't see any results just yet. Um, but he was saying that his wife is five months pregnant and uh, the doctor suggested that she have the vaccine. Uh, Jason, that's just horrible, isn't it? Look, um, having been somebody who's lost a child stillborn, the devastating effects that it has on an individual, a family, a husband and wife is, is beyond anything. It's, it's an unnatural thing to lose a child. Mm. To put a child at risk without knowing what the long-term effects are, to trust in something will result in unbelievable mental health issues down the track should something go wrong. The, mm. the, the betrayal alone uh, and, and, and not to put any form of doubt on it and to preach certainty it, it beggars belief and the outpouring, I, I cannot see mm. uh, how any of this ends well. Albert, with your study of VAERS, uh, what have you found? Well, you know, one of the, one of the most interesting um, phenomenons that I have, that I have realized is, is, the, is the bylaws of uh, what they call the reporting issues. And I, I always love to... I try to get this message out that, that they say um, in the fine print that only the initial reports will be published to the public, although that they continue to capture all the follow-ups, all the autopsies, all the lab work, all the additional you know, medical records information. They continue to capture it, but only the initial reports will be published to the public. Therefore, 
uh, thousands upon thousands of people that were had their report filed while they were hospitalized, while they were intubated, while they had just got a stroke and, you know, drooling out of the side of their mouth and, and, and brain dead. Those those reports are petrified in time and will never be updated. I mean, internally, they'll be updated, but they won't be republished to the public. So then that that leads me to look at like, well, gee, how many not serious currently not serious reports are there um, and how many people have have since died since their since their initial report was published? So then I realize I believe that that more deaths are actually been published, but they didn't die initially and now have since died more than more than the 12,000 they're telling us have died. And and I realized that, wow, when you have the, the deck stacked like that and those are the rules, well, no wonder they can um, get away with with what they're doing. If only the initial report's mm-hmm. going to be published to the public. You know, the um, when they uh, hide information, I'm talking about government here, and when they're uh, propaganda arm talking about media here, and not just mainstream media, there's um, even the um, some of the networks in Australia, for example, Sky, they all bash out the the, the same wording. I mean, they've got one copywriter sitting in, in government setting out the same script to all TV, radio and uh, newspaper organisations. Uh, so that can, you know, people start, start coming up with, with theories, which is natural because, you know, it's your health. You want, you, you want to live as long as you can and as happily and as healthy as possible. So all of a sudden people have these little theories and, and stuff that comes out. And some, even though they mean well, some people are wrong. Uh, and that can distort the truth. Just like, for example, the government, the, their information they give out is wrong. And they're up, so they're amongst all all the yeah you know, this this swill of, of of information about COVID and you know they're all trying to do the right thing. So if somebody wanted to find out though, Jason, how they can you know find out the correct information dash statistics, how easy is it to be found? And where can they find it? Well, Mike, I source all my stats uh, for my reports from health.gov.au tga.gov.au and abs.gov.au. But for cross-reference, I recommend using uh, websites such as worldometers.info for more broader stats and ideas. Um, And you can see the numbers are very similar, but the interpretations there are much better. But of course, because they're not known as a government website as uh, for source material, I believe that the the general public would appreciate coming from those um, official sites. But that doesn't limit that that's the only place that you look. But Mm. more importantly, I recommend to all of my um, uh, supporters or viewers or people who participate in the information that I provide, you must always do your own research. And it's really hard, though. But it's really hard, though, Jason. Sorry to do your own research. I mean, if you go to, I mean, we did. I did some research the other day on masks. Uh, are they effective? We just done, done something with, uh, you know, how how ineffective they really are. And on Google, for example, <laughs> truly, the first ten pages were, you know, it's a myth. It's a myth. It's a myth all throughout the the, the uh, first ten pages. So. Yes. To do your research, you actually actually have to know how to get that research because of of the of social media, big tech, and the mainstream media or media uh, and government. It's really hard to, to get through that garbage, isn't it? 
Oh, look, 100% it is. Look, if you really wanted to just do a very simple test at home, if you have a smoker in your house, get them to draw in a puff of cigarette smoke, mm. put a mask on and blow it through the mask and see if it comes out the other side. Mm. And that'll tell you how effective the mask really is if you're that concerned. Yep. Now, no comes one, out from and, the top, the side, the bottom, through it. Exactly. So we know that the mask isn't fit for purpose. Uh, so it's used in surgery to stop, um, you know, a sweat or something like that falling from a doctor into an open wound of a patient. And it's only mm. ever meant to be used for a few minutes a day. People um, have no money at the moment. Um, many people aren't working. Um, you know, funds are tight. You can't just go out and buy mask after mask and keep disposing of them like they're tissues. So at some point, people are going to compromise on their mask wearing. And in fact, what we're also finding of course, is that um, wearing the mask is causing its own new set of problems to those mm. who do it. And that's mm. why you have people that need exemptions because of those uh, situations. And of course, the other thing is that mental health with mask wearing, for example, mm. is mm. if you're claustrophobic, what does that do to a person who is forced to wear a mask? I mean, again, the cure cannot be worse than the disease. And this is what no one wants to face in government. It's a one-track mind, a one-size-fits-all solution that fits nobody at all. I think in uh, Victoria with Dan Andrews, now that you're not allowed to take your mask off to eat or drink, um, perhaps they could have an, an, maybe an edible mask. So you just eat the whole lot or drink the whole lot, dip it in your coffee. There it is. Put another one on, you know, different flavour, like caramel or, or just sugar or whatever. Albert, does the government acknowledge the flaws in its safety reporting? And are they trying to rectify the flaws? <laughs> Absolutely not, Mike. Um, they, they're not trying to rectify anything they're just pushing through with the safe and effective uh narrative um you know the general public doesn't even know that uh this system exists that the bars that the bear system exists and the people that do uh they just you know they uh, they discredit uh the system even though it comes from the cdc they, they, they harp on the fact that it's self-reporting, even though that 85% of all the reports are filled out by a healthcare professional. Mm. E- even though that filing a false claim, and when you go on there, because I filled one out myself for my uncle who had a stroke, um, it, on every page it says that it's a federal crime, it's a felony to file a false report. And then after that, as as a, uh, a representative, you know, I'm filling out the report. They ask for my name, my phone number, my address, everything but my my social security number. Mm-hmm. So I realize that when you know, yeah, anybody can file a report, sure, but it's a federal crime to file a false report. And then you have to give them, you know, your you know, practically your 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 thumbprint with blood. Mm. to prove mm. who you are to file the report. So, mm. you know, it, it's, it's so dis- disingenuous um, for people to say that anybody can file a report and say whatever you want, because that's, that's simply not true. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, sorry, uh, no, the, the government is not doing anything to, to rectify the issue or to enlighten people that the system exists how how to fill out your report, nothing. 
Jason, what stands out about the latest Australian statistics? Well, the standouts, uh, Mike, are simple. The hysteria does not match the reality. The one-size-fits-all approach fits no one at all. Discrimination is okay when those doing it agree that it's okay. Good people will do bad things in the name of authority. Albert, are there common problems in our countries about the vaccine safety data, lack of timeliness, uh, slow follow-up by agencies on deaths, uh, passive collection and so on? Actually, yes, and and Jason alluded uh, to that earlier, and that is simply the um, the delay in reporting. I called it throttling. We'll call it a, a delay. Um, but you know, when when you call this an early warning system, and they're delayed, how does how do those how do those function together? That should that's mutually exclusive, um, you know. And I think that that goes on. Um, systematically throughout the world in all the reporting agencies. I, I think they do it by selective design, but that's just my opinion. So I, I'll have to say that um, they're, they are, you know, they're behind. They must be uh, behind. But um, I think that is the common, is the common thread that they, um, they must have internally a, a, a tremendous amount of adverse effect claims that they're processing to be published to the public because they are not, they are not caught up, not, not here in bears. Mm. I can only speak for, for bears, but uh, I have a feeling that's what's going on all, all over the world. Last question for both of you. First of all, Albert, because we're on this roll, what are the biggest problems with these official figures? The biggest problem is that it's 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 just a fraction of what's of what must be really going on. Um, you know, I, I'm just a layman, but I understand. You know, when I um, you know when I you know if this is supposed to be a rare event, a one in a million chance that you know something some you can have an adverse effect, a serious adverse effect, and then I see you know my uncle. My, my, my buddy's uh, family member, I mean, people that I know and multiple people are having like really serious um, adverse events. And then, you know, and then you see it on, uh, you know, on social media, so many people that you realize like, wow, this is not, you know, this is not one in a million. You know, what is, what is it really? Is it one in a thousand? I mean, what, what's, what are the odds that, uh, you know, you may be permanently disabled or you may die. Mm. Um, now, you know, I, I, I just feel it in my bones that this is, uh, this is really bad. Jason, what about you? Look, um, they reveal that the narrative does not meet the facts. We are not nearly as bad as we are with COVID as we are being told. We are being sold a lemon. We are being led down the garden path by a government who, like all other governments, seemingly had a plan ready to go, almost as if in unison, that the compulsory surrendering of our medical privacy for the right to buy a cup of coffee and sit down to drink it, to me that defines the human condition in 2021 as we sit on the precipice waiting to see if a straw will indeed break the camel's back. I'm confident that it will. 
maybe with divine intervention, but I'm confident that there will be a twist in the plot. The general public is invested. The jab got them to pick sides. The jabbers think they could persuade us all, and the, ub- and the unjabbed are the new Jews or blacks. I fear another Holocaust 2.0, and yet I work tirelessly for the greatest awakening of all time. Now, Jason, if someone wants to find out more about what you do, um, legally, of course, um, how do they do that? Well, look, they can look me up on Facebook, uh, either going straight to World Series News Underground TV. That's the page that I put my reports out on. But I also have a new website as the uh, founder of A Million Mums for Informed Consent. And that website is called simply a com. It's a resource that provides information about how to deal with the pressures that you're getting from your employer, getting pressures from your school. Uh, We provide legal documents that have been sourced from various legal practitioners around Australia and the world, amongst other resources. It's also a a safe place to come to chat with others, uh, to get access to other information. Homeschooling, for example, is a big one. Um, understanding grief and loss is a huge one. And these are extra facilities that we are developing on the website as we speak. There is a support group called A Million Mums for Informed Consent located on Facebook as well. We've got over 7,500 members as of today. And uh, we also have a group on Telegram that you're welcome to look up. Albert, what about you if somebody wants to find out uh, all the latest figures on VAERS? Yeah, uh, so I'm on, uh, so I go by Welcome the Eagle 88. Um, you can put that in your DuckDuckGo at Welcome the Eagle 88, all one word. But I'm on uh, BitChute and Odyssey and 153. I'm everywhere. Uh, Twitter is ABA underscore 3000. Uh, you can find me there, Welcome the Eagle 88. And uh, all, all my contact information is always in the description of all my videos. I was talking to Peter McCullough the other day and I said, Peter, you are everywhere. The only place I haven't seen you yet is on a Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, I'm relentless. And you guys are too. I really appreciate it, this conversation. We will do it on a very regular basis. Uh, Albert and uh, Jason, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Mike. Thanks, Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Albert.